Greetings everyone, I'm Pastor Evan, happy to be here. And uh, Jody, thanks for setting things up so well with the children's message. That was a wonderful message and sets us up well for what we're going to hear. I think Jody talked about the character of the king. We're going to hear about that, but we're going to talk about truth a little bit uh, as we hear about that and how that relates to us. Um, you've heard the text. I hope this morning that, uh, uh, that we take time to set it up so that the words of the text do the speaking, so that the words of Jesus have impact in our lives this morning. So I do ask that you would find that text. If, you have, if you've already closed your Bible, John 18. I'm going to set it up for a little bit, and then we'll, we'll, we'll come back and we'll look at those three little conversations that go on. But as we start, I want to point out uh, my two lowest grades in college. Um, I was pretty generally a decent student uh, throughout my years of schooling. Generally A's and B's, the ones that went below the two lowest ones uh, are kind of ironic as to where I am in, at this point in life. My first lowest grade in college uh, was church history, and uh, which is funny because now I have a master's degree in that topic and quite enjoy it. Um, and that was largely uh, poor time management and a couple other odd life circumstances that happened. So I take most of the blame on that if not all of it. The other was personal fitness. And this is where we can land for a moment. The, uh, the reason personal fitness was such a low grade is I waited until the very end. I had to take it. Waited until the very end. I had no enthusiasm for doing personal fitness at the time, that time in life. I was taking an awful lot of classes, more than I should have been taking in a semester, and personal fitness fell to the bottom of my list. Um, and so in the classroom work I did all right on, but we had to keep an exercise log and it was on the honor system and you had to write how much you exercised and you had to do a certain amount each week. And I did have classmates who fudged the numbers a little bit for theirs. I was unwilling to do that and I knew the price that I was paying. I wanted to make sure that my yes was yes and my no was no, even if I was making a decision that would result in a poorer grade because I wasn't going to lie in order to get a good grade. And so, again, perhaps it's time management, enthusiasm, all those things, but, but the truth mattered to me in that case. Even if I was making that choice, I was never going to lie in order to get something better than I deserved. And so as we talk about Christ the King Sunday and Jesus as King this morning, and as we talk uh, about uh, the words of Jesus, which we just heard from the text, and he ends that, that section with everybody who's on the side of truth listens to me, we hear these two things put together, truth and the kingship of Jesus, and they do indeed go together. In fact, you heard from the Old Testament passage uh, pointing forward to the coming king, you hear all throughout the New Testament about this King Jesus in one way or another, maybe not always called the King, but the one who rules all. And the question that I believe comes out all throughout Scripture, but in a very pronounced way in passages like this, is to whom do you belong? Or maybe we could put it in a different way, who's your boss when it comes to everyday decisions? Who's the boss in your life? Who's the one that really gives you the marching orders of how you're supposed to operate in this world? I think that comes out of this text as well as so many others with Jesus when we face Jesus as the true king. And you see in this moment where Jesus stands talking to Pilate, a face-off between two competing powers. 
And it's clear to us on this side of history which one is the superior power. I think as we consider truth, truth questions, uh, not all of which we can get to this morning, but I do think that as you consider truth, it begs the question of things of eternity, because truth is something that exists beyond this moment. And it begs the question of meaning. And when we get personal about those things and how truth matters in our lives, part of the question of truth is, is there more to my life than this present moment? Is there something that lasts beyond the decades of life that I get that's eternal? And the second part of that is, do I matter in that? Do I actually have any meaning beyond this life? Is there some bigger picture, truth, that I fit into that's beyond me, but that I can be, that I'm a part of? Truth, to understand it, requires an objective reality. Right? There's, there's things about truth that um, we can have some sort of subjective experiences that are, are true, like our feelings, for instance. I can feel happy and that can be true, but I can't make a lot of life decisions for you based on that reality. Right? Truth has to have something outside of ourselves that really grounds us. The old idea that's been floating around for decades of something can be true for you but not for me is a ridiculous idea because that statement can't be true. Right? If it's true for you it, and, and not for me, that statement can't be true. Unless it's true for both of us, it folds on itself. It doesn't work. I know in my own story of, of not just coming to faith, I did that at a very young age, but my own story of, of really being all in for Jesus at the time when I was taking personal fitness, actually, at that moment in life. When I realized that Jesus' call was for all of me, to give all of myself to Christ the King, there was a component of that that included feeling. But there's an awful lot of that that's grounded in the truth. And the truth, uh, the feeling part of that might not be verifiable to you outside of me. I can tell you, but you can't check that, what's going on inside of me. But the truth of Jesus, we can. The truth of Jesus, the one that we follow, as the truth. We can verify, we can check that, we can stand in faith behind Christ, our King, who is truth. So as we look at these, Jesus and his encounter with Pilate, keeping all that in mind, Jesus, uh, when he comes into the picture in this episode, John, uh, in his gospel, is different in his presentation of Jesus, all throughout than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. What's interesting is Matthew, Mark, and Luke those three Gospels kind of present Jesus and the kingdom of God. Uh, we, we see that phrase, kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, obviously presented before us. That this is what Jesus is about. In fact, if you were to ask what are the Gospels about, that's what it's about. The kingdom of God. It's not about the church. It's about the establishment of the kingdom and then living into that. But when it comes to John, he's not quite pointing it out in the same way. He doesn't really use the kingdom language in the same way that the other Gospels do. But he wants to keep no secrets about Jesus as the king of this kingdom from the very beginning. He starts the very gospel within the word was, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word was with God in the beginning. 
He starts us from the very beginning, pointing us in a direction in that first chapter, telling us the one who is going to redeem humanity is also the one who created it in the first place. And he's the only one who has that ability to put together that which is broken. He's the only one who has that depth of love to come and do that. The Redeemer is the creator. John does not want us to miss that fact that he's king from beginning to end. He's ruler over everything. He doesn't keep Jesus' identity a secret. When you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus will sometimes heal. Jesus will tell his disciples something and they'll say, oh, but don't tell anybody. And there are reasons why Jesus will do that. John will have none of that in his presentation of Jesus. It's no secret who Jesus is. Jesus' I am statements are clearly pointed out throughout the Gospel of John, for instance, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door of the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. I am the true vine. John wants us to see those in their fullness. To see Jesus as this king. And to see that these proclamations by Jesus are bold statements of truth. Jesus is clearly saying, there's, you're far from God and there's no other way to God except through me. There's no other religion that's going to do it, right? Put away the coexist bumper stickers at this point. There's no other path that you can get to God except through me. And those of us who follow Jesus, that's the truth that we live by as well. There is no other path to God except through Jesus. John wants us to see all that. And John's put all that before us by the time Jesus comes before Pilate. Pilate, for his part, let's just understand Pontius Pilate, as we say in the creed. Pilate was a ruthless leader, leading uh, that region of the world that Jesus lived in under the Roman Empire. So Pilate's marching orders are to seize her, ultimately. But Pilate has a lot of autonomy over Judea and the region that he rules. Pilate uh, is very concerned with power. That's his number one goal is power, status, moving up. And uh, he only ruled for about 10 years in that region. And many times uh, rulers like Pilate that ruled these regions had before them the promise of being called king at some point. In fact, from what we can tell from the history, that's what Pilate wanted. He wanted to ascend sort of the, the most corner office you can get in the Roman world. He would have ascended as far up the status ladder to be called King Pilate. That's what he wanted. There are a couple incidents from Pilate's life that I think highlight who, how he thought of himself that we can take with us to this text in John 18. Uh, Two incidents that we get from, that come down to us through history, among a number of them actually. Uh, One is when Pilate first came to power, he wasn't living in Jerusalem, he lived in Caesarea, which is uh, north and a little bit west of Jerusalem on the coast. Jerusalem's inland. Uh, But he sent down towards Jerusalem when he first came into power some symbols that had an image of Caesar on them to be planted all around Jerusalem, which caused a major uproar among the Jewish leadership and population of Jerusalem. How could he do this? This is outside the bounds of what can happen. And so a bunch of Jewish leaders went to Caesarea, traveled up there, and did a five-day sit-in fast in front of Caesar's palace, not Caesar, in front of Pilate's uh, palace there. And Pilate relented. 
He, he got a flavor for who he was ruling in this region. That these are people that will sacrifice an awful lot and even die for what they believe in to uphold the law. So he realizes in order to control this region, it's going to take some balancing. Right? His power was challenged and he let that one go. Later on in his uh, leading, time of leading that region, he took money from the temple treasury. So the temple. The, the, this is a giant no-no for a regional leader to do this, to build a 35-mile aqueduct into Jerusalem. A major protest erupted uh, against this, against using temple funds in this way. And Pilate took a different tactic this time. He sent some soldiers in, dressed up as the crowd, to beat down any opposition. And many people were killed. Totally different tactic. Power mattered to him. However, whatever he wanted to use, he wanted to use it. But he knew that he was walking a tightrope with leading this area and this region. And you can see that. So if you go to the text, we're going to go to John 19 really quick. John 19, 12. Pilate's trying to let Jesus off the hook by this point. And what what does the Jewish leadership say to him? This is the tightrope he's walking as a leader. It says, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Pilate didn't want that. Pilate wanted to maintain control and power. But he's getting pushed back in doing that. And it begs the question, who's in control here already? As you look at that, let alone his interaction with Jesus before that. As we consider the text in this Christ the King uh, Sunday, Jesus still is facing down empires even today. Um, I was struck with a story here, uh, if I could, from uh, Daryl Johnson. He's a pastor and a professor in Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, he talks about a sermon he preached on Christ the King Sunday. I think it's helpful for us to hear. There are a few details in here, uh, and I, I checked these this week because I didn't actually know the history. Many of you perhaps remember this. But Daryl uh, Johnson and his family were missionaries in the Philippines in the 80s. He pastored a church there. And so if you'll permit me a couple paragraphs here on Christ the King Sunday. Daryl writes, it was Christ the King Sunday, November 1985. I was pastoring Union Church in Manila, and things were heating up. Ferdinand Marcos, the president of the Philippines, a corrupt dictator being propped up by the United States, had on Larry King Live declared that he was willing to hold an election to show the world that he had the country's support. Mrs. Cory Aquino, wife of Senator Benito Aquino, whom the Marcos forces had assassinated in August of 1983, took up the challenge and ran for president against Mr. Marcos. Things were quite tense, to say the least. On that Christ the King morning, I preached a sermon on Daniel 2. I titled it The Preview. I showed how the vision in Daniel 2, a vision played in the subconscious of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, was a kind of theology of history. Through the vision and Daniel's God-given interpretation of the vision, God was declaring the gospel of the kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar kept seeing this giant statue represented, uh, representing exalted human empires being knocked over and crushed by this stone, cut out without hands, with the wind blowing away the remains like chaff. Though it was a terrifying dream, it was an act of mercy and grace. 
For God loved that pagan leader enough to play the preview in his mind and bring a prophet who could explain it. The stone represented the kingdom of God always pressing in on the world, ever advancing against all that is inconsistent with the kingdom. I concluded the sermon that Sunday saying, nothing will ever stop the coming and advancing of the kingdom of King Jesus. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And I sat down. You could have heard a pin drop. The silence was palpable. And so was the sense of presence of the great king. Unbeknownst to me, sitting in the congregation were two men from Washington, D.C. One was a CIA agent and the other was an image maker hired by President Marcos to help change his image in the Western press. The image maker accompanied by the CIA agent was to meet with Mr. Marcos the next morning, Monday morning. As the image maker tells it during the silence after the sermon, he felt this presence and he began to tremble inside. He said he heard a voice say to him, all you are to do tomorrow morning when you meet with Mr. Marcos is read Daniel 2. The image maker said he was constrained by the conviction. He knew he could do nothing else. So on Monday morning, after Christ the King Sunday, he did it. He met with Mr. Marcos and read him the theology of history. Three months later, the so-called people power revolution toppled Mr. Marcos' rule. And Johnson, who's talking about how to preach the text, he says, I saw the Lord of the text work himself out. He didn't have to say anything about how. Jesus, you see, as king, still has power. This is why missionaries go out into the field and they're persecuted or interrogated or pushed aside. This is why churches around the world are told they have to sign on and then push down. This is why churches are bulldozed in parts of the world because Jesus still has power and world governments get that. But the question is, do we get that? Do we understand just how much power? Because most of us are not facing empires. Most of us are not standing up, preaching a sermon on Daniel 2, and then having the people's power revolution start three months later because somebody read the text and things started to domino down. Most of us are trying to live out our day-to-day lives as we go to work and figuring out how do we respond when our coworker says something ridiculous. Do we laugh at that joke or not? Do we engage in the gossip in the office? Do we ask for a raise, a promotion, or a new chair? We're trying to figure out our day-to-day lives of how to be a good student and how to make friends, how to be a parent that does right and makes wise decisions, how to be a good spouse, a good neighbor, a good brother, a good sister, a good friend, any of those things. That's the day-to-day life we're living. When Jesus the king stands, before, stands against Pilate, the wannabe king, what does that have to do with me and my everyday life? We may wonder. And I would suggest to you everything because it still begs the question, to whom do you belong? Who's the boss in your everyday decisions? Is Christ the king in your office, at school, every day? If we look at the interactions that Jesus and Pilate have, we can get a little indication of to whom we belong and perhaps what that means. I'll make some comments, but generally I I want Jesus' words to stand out, not mine. So let's go to John 18, 33. And 34. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? 
Jesus really is asking, what's your source of information in many ways? Where'd you get the idea? And clearly Pilate has some source of information if he can even ask an educated question like that from what we can tell. About seven years ago, I spoke at uh, junior high camp out at Covenant Cedars, had a blast doing it. And I remember we showed uh, partway through the week the short about two-minute clip of Jesus walking into the temple from the Jesus film and flipping over the tables and chasing out the money changers. And to a bunch of middle schoolers, even seven years ago, this was a shocking moment because their sources about Jesus are so very limited. They had no idea Jesus would do this. They hadn't heard about it in many cases. They certainly hadn't seen it, visualized. And even more so now, seven years later, even fewer middle schoolers know it. And our source of sources about Jesus need to be clear if Christ is going to be our king. We must be sure we know the Jesus of history, the Jesus of creation, of the cross and the resurrection, of redemption. Know that real Jesus and know the real source of that Jesus in order to know him, the truth, the way to God. Jesus says, what, what's your source, Pilate? Pilate's really asking, are you a political king or are you some religious king that I can ignore? If you're religious, it has nothing to do with me. But if you're political, we got a problem. And so it goes on. Go to verse 35. Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What, what is it you have done? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. And Jesus can stand confidently before Pilate in this moment. Let's make no mistake, Jesus knew what could happen. John, at the beginning of chapter 18, that's when he's captured in the Garden of Eden or arrested in the Garden of Eden. And John makes a point to tell us Jesus knew this was going to happen. He had a clue what was going on. Maybe he didn't know the full uh, details of how this would work out at this point. But he knew the stakes. He knew what's going on. When you're standing before Pilate, who has the power of life and death and represents the greatest and most powerful empire on earth that rules over your region, he knew what he's up against. This is no mystery, but he stands there confidently before Pilate. Why? Because Jesus knew his purpose and he lived it faithfully with integrity. Jesus knew why he existed and what he was supposed to do. That's what questions about truth and eternity like we started in meaning do for us. They ask us those very questions. We can't, they're about reality. Those kinds of questions there. And we can't escape reality. Jesus knew his purpose. We must know our purpose if we follow Jesus Christ. If Jesus is my king, then my purpose is actually like his purpose. To come back to God and to bring others in that direction. And I must seek to be like Jesus and act like him. We can also see that not only did he know his purpose, but he followed truth to its natural conclusion. And he did that in spite of momentary setbacks and in the face of probable sacrifice, in this case including pain and death. Why can he do that? Because he's standing in the truth and he knows the truth that he stands in that goes beyond this life. So if we understand our purpose in Jesus Christ and follow truth in Jesus Christ, 
then we will have those momentary setbacks and those difficulties. We may even have to sacrifice. In fact, Jesus tells us, you probably will if you follow me. But if we're only grounded in this life, we're not going to be able to live those out with any integrity. It's going to be real hard when we understand our purpose in Jesus Christ and that it goes beyond this life that he's king, not just of now, but what's to come. Then we can live out with Jesus Christ whatever comes our way in truth. And so when confronted with overwhelming earthly power, Jesus trusted his identity as God's own child. Do you see yourself as God's own child this morning? If truth is found in Jesus Christ, and if, and if I'm to belong to that king, Jesus Christ, living in that truth, then my life must be directed by God's mission worked out in my life. My life must reflect that which pleases the Lord. And when we do that, when we live in the truth that is Jesus Christ, that's when we proclaim with our everyday actions, my life has meaning beyond now. The decisions I make span into eternity with the one who is eternal and king over these moments. My life has meaning beyond now and I choose to matter beyond today in that eternal purpose. We can face what comes our way knowing our purpose in Jesus Christ. If we go to verse 37, we see the third interaction here. You are a king then, Pilate, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. If it's true, Jesus says, this is where it points to. Right back to me. And so Jesus is shifting the power throughout this whole conversation, you can see. But Jesus calls the question on Pilate. Are you for truth, Pilate? He calls him, out, he calls him to make a decision. Everyone who listens to truth listens to me. On the side of truth listens to me. Which side are you on, Pilate? And of course, Pilate's response, verse 38, is what is truth? The very famous response. He retorted that, it says in my text. Sort of a sarcastic uh, blow-off comment. But Pilate is stuck at this point. Jesus has shifted things so much in the conversation. He can't betray Rome. That'd be ridiculous. That's, that's to sacrifice his political power and potential forward movement to that final corner office. He can't cause a riot. He knows the tightrope that he walks with the people. That a riot could happen very easily. In fact, it's right before him if he's not careful. That could result in a loss of power too. And he can't let Jesus win, even though he wants to free him. If he's claiming to be a king and a potential, he can't let this little guy out of nowhere, out of the backwater of the Roman Empire, best him. He's stuck at this point. Jesus calls the question on him. He tries to free Jesus. He wants to wash his hands of the whole thing. He wants to, to get rid of this, to not answer the question, basically. But by not answering the question, he's answering the question, ultimately, of do you stand on the side of truth? By not answering, he is making the proclamation, Jesus is not the truth. Jesus is not the king. I'm the boss. I'm the master of my own domain. I'm my own sovereign. That's what he's proclaiming in not answering. We live in an age 
where we live around self-defined truth, where we live around uh, subjective reality, that true for you, not for me, that still defines us. The journey is what matters, not the destination. And I'm one who likes the scenic route, so I'm cool with most of that, but the destination does matter. It does. It's not just about the journey. It's not just about making our own reality and making our own truth because that really doesn't work. That's not reality. We cannot wash our hands of the truth when confronted with it like this, with Jesus. He calls the question out of all of us. And when we try and wash our hands of this and try and make our own way and try and say the journey is really all about it and there are many ways, not just the Jesus way, then what we end up doing is we proclaim that Christ is not the king over this world and especially not the king over my life. My everyday decisions are mine. My destiny is my own. I'm my own sovereign. When we try and wash our hands of the truth, when Jesus calls the question, we also proclaim that my life will only have meaning now. It has no meaning beyond this life. I'm going to take what I can get now because that's all I got to look forward to. That's it. There's no kingdom come. There's just this kingdom now. My own, self-made. And when we try and wash our hands of the truth, we proclaim my life will only matter for a short while. Eventually it'll be forgotten. Everybody's forgotten at some point, even the most famous. It has no bigger value and no greater meaning than now. But if Jesus is the king over the powers of this world, doesn't he have every bit of power to be king of your life in every way, in every decision that you make, shaping you into the character of Jesus? It begins with our acknowledgement of Jesus on the side of truth, of choosing him, answering the question, to whom do you belong? Who's the boss in those everyday decisions? Is it Jesus Christ, the king over all, including my mind and my heart? Or is it me? Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful to be here in the house to be in a place where we can worship you freely. But God, let us not forget that there are powers and principalities out there who would try and push you down, that the evil one would love nothing better this morning than to have us continue to give lip service to you but make choices that don't reflect you as king. Lord, may our every decision reflect you as king. When we interact with our families, over Christmas, when we go to the office parties that come up this season, go to work throughout the week, or go shop the sales, wherever we are, God, may the life that we show from inside out portray you as king and not our own sovereignty, but yours overall. May we not be faced with the truth and try and wash our hands of it or make up our own, we recognize that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through you. That your kingdom is coming. It's even partially here, God, and we're called to be citizens of that kingdom now in a world that doesn't move at a kingdom pace. God, help us move at a kingdom pace as your kingdom people with a heart like yours and a mind like yours to become like your son, Jesus Christ. In this we pray, amen.